welcome to the Flow State Podcast. We're your hosts, Monica Groni and Nora Candido. I'm so excited for us to dig into this today. Let's get into the Flow State. All right, everyone. How's it going? Nora and I were just actually talking about matcha, and so I thought it would just be fun for us to share with you guys matcha. Uh, yes. Nora's trying out a new a new matcha latte over there. Does anyone out there, do you drink matcha or coffee? <laughs> yes, I love matcha. It's something I've been enjoying more recently that the caffeine just does not impact me the same way that coffee does. Caffeine makes me feel pretty anxious and my heart is racing. I just feel wired and I crash really hard. But matcha actually contains L-theanine. It's an amino acid that helps with kind of calming. So it balances out a lot of those feelings that we might get from the caffeine. So it still contains caffeine. It's usually a little bit less than coffee or especially like a cold brew. And it also has that counterbalancing act of caffeine that helps to make you feel more more level. Have you noticed that? Oh my God. This is why we love, we love having <laughs> Nora here because she brings all the legit science to it. I was just like, yeah, I like matcha. It has less caffeine. It's great. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely have noticed that. I stopped drinking coffee after last September, after going on an offshore sailing experience. And like the smell of coffee made me feel seasick again. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, it was so weird, but we were drinking instant coffee and it was just gross. And then coffee for like eight months made me feel ill. So I was drinking matcha instead. I'm back on my coffee kick. I do drink like half and half basically. So it's like half regular, half decaf. So it's not like the full punch, but I try to switch to matcha in my luteal phase. Love it. We should do a whole episode on caffeine and timing of caffeine and how it affects your hormones. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We love that. Uh, If you guys want to hear that episode, come over to our social channels and let us know in our DMs that you want to know more. Okay. But today what we are talking about is something that this was for a long time, the symptoms that I was experiencing, mood swings, acne, like all these things, I didn't know they were related to my hormones. And I think it's so often that we hear these things like hormone imbalance. Oh yeah, I'm just hormonal. We blame a lot on our hormones, but how do we actually know it's our hormones? And hopefully this will be eye-opening for anyone who is experiencing something and they don't know it's related to their hormones. Can you relate to any of that, Nora? Literally everything. (laughs) Run it back. Everything. Yeah. I see it so often in my practice too. It was people just being like, oh, like you think that's connected? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Your breast tenderness halfway through your cycle, like they don't know that. But when I start asking them questions or like cyclical migraines and same thing, For most people, it happens like midway through their cycle. So we start talking about timing. Like, when did that start happening? Oh, three days before you got your period. That's because of there's a little surge in estrogen that can typically lead to more of those PMS symptoms, which can also include cyclical migraines. But people have no idea. Like, I literally blow people's minds every day of being like, no, this is actually related to your cycle and we can do something about it. Yeah, maybe real quick too, you can share like, 
I guess what hormones are and why it is all interconnected. Sure. I mean, hormones in general, it is our body's way of communicating. So we don't just have these hormones to have babies. Men also have hormones. They have more testosterone. We also have testosterone. They also have estrogen. We also have estrogen. So it's just a different mix and different balance, but it is a way for our body to communicate. They're like, I think of them as these chemical messengers. So we even have hunger hormones, things like ghrelin and leptin that tell us when we're hungry and when we're full. So it's just the way that our brain is communicating to other endpoints in our system to say, do this or don't do this. Oh, you need energy? I will give you insulin when you're eating. Oh, you don't? You need to stop? Here's some glucagon, right? Those are the oppositional hormones when it comes to things like blood sugar, our hunger hormones, and our cycle. Yeah, so hormones are messengers. They're just little messengers in our body that communicate from all of our organs to our brain. Like, so important. And that is why symptoms occur. Like, why does that happen? What is that? Absolutely. So the biggest thing that I think about is that communication pathway. Like, if there's a hang up, we talked about this in the birth control episode of how birth control works is it's literally shutting off that communication pathway from our brain to our ovaries saying, you need to make estrogen. It's telling it not to do that. It's basically putting it to sleep. So Yes. And that term like hormone imbalance is very unregulated. And even if you mention that to your doctor, they're going to be like, there is no such thing as a hormone imbalance. And that can feel really invalidating and feel like, again, we talked about medical gaslighting or being dismissed and saying that your symptoms and what you're feeling aren't real. And they are very real. And we're not looking at this as like, a seesaw and they need to sit perfectly as an even ratio, it's individualized. Your levels look different than my levels. And what they look like today is different than what they look like tomorrow. And that's what makes us, I think, it's our superpower having these different levels of our hormones on different days. But bringing them back into balance, in my eyes, is just being symptom-free, being regular, things are predictable, you feel calm, like in more of this homeostasis, or even that relates to our mood, our energy, our libido, all of those things, things are working as they should. (laughs) So if your doctor doesn't want to call it a hormone imbalance, we can just say, you know, things are out of whack, we need to address what's going on here. Yeah, I think it really clicked for me when I realized like there is no metric for what a balanced hormone looks like because we're all individuals. And so what's balanced for me might not feel balanced for you. And it also depends on the day of our cycle, where we are in our cycle. And at the end of the day, it's really like the proper ratio for you to be symptomless. So I think this is a good segue like into some of the most common symptoms that crop up from our hormones. And I mean, I'm happy to share for me, it was, it's like highly mood related. So like 
anxiousness. If I'm not sleeping well, that's a huge signal to me. Energy levels. I mean, I honestly, like in the last three months, I've switched from my normal supplement routine of Marea to a prenatal that had less magnesium. And I highly noticed around my periods, like way more cramping, like a ton more problems. And I was like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Like I'm not taking hardly any magnesium. So I added magnesium in last cycle and it was like, boom, like no cramps. I mean, like you can just start to pinpoint what these symptoms are for you and notice like, okay, yeah, like something this month wasn't right. I wasn't nourishing myself right, whatever that was. What are some of the symptoms for you? Totally. So personally, what I experienced was more of that breast tenderness, really intense cramping, the heavy cycles, a lot of clots in my actual period blood, and just like deep pelvic pain, discomfort, so much pressure, likely inflammation leading up to my cycle. Those were like my most prominent things. And then of of course the acne. So, you know, I think there was a hormonal component to my acne for sure, but I think it was a lot more of like inflammation in my GI issues. Our skin is a reflection of anything that's going on internally, but classic symptoms, even for individuals when they have like acne on their jawline is more closely associated with having too much testosterone, for example. So there, there are acne ties directly to hormones. But just in general, like even having hair show up in different places or new locations on your face, around your nipples, especially in the face area, those can be some clear signs of hormone changes. The intense (laughs) cramping, heavy cycles or missing periods, those are also hormone things. Not ovulating is a hormone thing. We'll talk about like, how do we even know when we're ovulating at some point, (laughs) I'm sure. But yeah, the the migraines, anxiety I see all the time. And then even bowel changes, right? Like some people experience constipation at different times during the month. Some people experience looser stools or diarrhea when their period is starting. So those are things that I even help. And those are very tangible things we can see too in improvement or better changes in those things as well. Yeah, and I think someone out there who's like, yeah, I mean, I occasionally feel like this. I occasionally feel moodier. I occasionally have breast tenderness, whatever. I know for me, as soon as I started tracking it, like within that first month, I was like, oh, the correlation is so night and day to my, like, it's just right on with my cycle. That was the light bulb moment for me of being like, you know, I went to my doctor. I was telling her I thought I was bipolar. I was having these extreme mood shifts. And she's like, track your cycle. And your mood. And I was like, lady, I'm telling you, my brain is like messed up. And you're telling me like about my ovaries. And I just like, I got so annoyed because I didn't understand it. And now I'm like, I feel like any female who is experiencing something that they're like, this just isn't right, like track it with your cycle and your eyes are going to be like, what? Like, it's just so apparent. Do you feel like that happened for you at any point? Yeah. And I was going to ask you 
you know, like, did you come up with this idea on your own to start tracking or not? Because I feel like people don't think about that with any of the symptoms that we're experiencing. And then it's it's really hard to quantify. It's hard to see those patterns if we're not keeping track of it. So even if you put it in like the notes app in your phone, you know, you always have that with you. And even if it's not on a daily basis, just noticing when things are off and marking the date, you know, if there was any event or something stressful came on. So I lost my dad a year ago and three months later, I had an awful, awful cycle. And it's because that happened. It's such a highly emotional, stressful thing. And we typically see those show up about three months later. But because I have this knowledge, because I understand, it wasn't like, oh my God, I'm going backwards. Like it's all coming back. You don't put yourself in that mindset. I was like, man, this makes sense. I knew this was going to happen, probably. Uh, Same with a lot of people that got the vaccine. I personally noticed some changes about three months later. I know people that got the vaccine and then started spotting. And that's, you know, it's an immune response. It's inflammation. It's a stress response. So obviously it's going to impact your freaking cycle. (laughs) Like, we don't live in a vacuum. (laughs) Things impact us. Yeah, it's the same for like getting COVID too. Like the COVID is no different than having the flu or a cold. Like you might notice your next cycle, the cycle in a few months, like might be impacted by that. Your immune system is fighting something. And so it affects your whole system. And everyone's like, oh my God, COVID is making people infertile, like going crazy. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, hopefully not. (laughs) You could say like the flu is too. Like, you know, our body's immune system was just fighting something. So that's like such an interesting, interesting thing to bring up. And I was even going to say like, before I was tracking my cycle, I was like wondering, oh, am I getting like symptoms of a yeast infection every single month? And what I've realized now is that like, my cervical fluid obviously changes throughout my cycle and I get a little drier in a certain part of it. And I like, it is a little itchy and I'm like, this isn't a yeast infection. This is just part of my cycle. Exactly. Oh, that's so, so good. And amazing that you even have that awareness and to be able to say like, oh, because you were keeping track, (laughs) you're seeing that it happens typically around the same time and it can be normal for you. It's so empowering when you can have that information and that information loop so that you're not constantly jumping to conclusions of like something is wrong with me, what is going on. And then month over month, if you're like, okay, this is uncomfortable, like what the symptom that is occurring, I know that it happens around this cycle day and it's not normal, then you can, you know, take control of it and like, try to do something that actually supports that. Whereas if you don't have it really pinpointed as being part or being cyclical, you're just kind of like starting from a place of confusion. It feels so empowering to just know that. I think like one of the big questions and something that comes up so often is when should I get my hormones tested? Like, what is a reason to get my hormones tested? At what point do I get them tested? Is testing necessary? Like, can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. In my practice, especially, so if you're on hormonal birth control, whether that's an oral contraceptive or an 
an IUD or any sort of hormonal implant device or the depo shot, for example, getting your hormones tested is not reflective. It is not showing what your body is producing. It's going to have markers from those hormones that your body is getting from an outside, an exogenous source. So I wait at least three months after anybody comes off of the pill before we can get a true new baseline. And that's, again, there's this like 90 day, I keep saying three cycles, three months, 90 days. And it's because the follicle, right? We talked about this a little bit in a previous episode, but the whole, we're born with all of the eggs that we're ever gonna have. But the house, the follicle that the egg is within takes about 90 days to grow. That's why like a lot of things that happen three months, three cycles, 90 days, it's because of the change in that follicle health. So if you start making dietary changes or you start a supplement today, you might see some benefits in a month or two, but most like we need that three month time period. So I like checking hormones. There are different things that we wanna look for and different days that we test things on. That's the most important piece. So if you are trying to get pregnant, if you are in a periconception stage, the most important things that we're looking at is our follicle stimulating hormone, right? That house that's growing the egg, we wanna make sure it's developing appropriately and also the luteinizing hormone. And we do that on day three of our cycle. So newsflash, (laughs) if you didn't know, the first day of your cycle is the day that you start truly bleeding. So these labs are going to be drawn on the third day of your period. That is the day three of your cycle. The, all of the other labs that I like to look at, we actually draw them after ovulation and typically about four, five to seven days before your next period starts. So why we do that in that time period is because we're going to get the best picture of where estrogen is at, where progesterone is at, at that time point. Those levels are the best way for us to see that ratio is after we ovulate and it's about, on average, day 20 for people. So yeah, I love looking at labs. (laughs) It's much more representative to see testosterone in blood values than it is in any other method. But one of the tests that I do like to use is called a Dutch test, which is using a dried urine test sample in order to see like all the breakdown or the metabolites of our hormones and how our body is getting rid of them. This allows me to see there are actually three different types of estrogen. (laughs) And if our body does not have one or the other, or we have too much of one, that gives me a clear sign of what things that we need to do or to support in our body. But before I do a lot of hormone testing, I'm really focusing on the gut. And it's because that's where a lot of these issues originate. And if we don't treat those underlying, those GI issues, those labs aren't going to miraculously change. You can't up out supplement a lot of these GI things. Unfortunately, we have to get to the root of the problem. Yeah, so interesting. So, I mean, if someone feels like is feeling fine, is not really having a lot of symptoms, it's not like they need to like go and test their hormones. It's more like people are experiencing a lot of symptoms. They're coming off birth control and they want to rebalance, like wait the three months and then like do some testing. Or, you know, if you're really, you haven't been on birth control and you're really experiencing some disruption, like that could be a good case for testing and just trying to understand what's going on. 
And this is my opinion. I'm not a dietitian or, you know, but it's not even fully necessary. I think that there's a lot of things we can do before we test in terms of making changes and seeing if some small lifestyle diet changes can alleviate some of those symptoms. And so like, don't run out and think, oh my God, I need to spend all this money to get all these tests done and like do it. Like there's so much that can be done before testing too. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And in my practice, like I'm always thinking about the cost benefit for people getting these tests drawn. It's taxing on your body, but it's also expensive. So for me, I really like to prioritize and always food first, always adding in that multivitamin. That's such an important piece when we're dealing with hormones. And then, okay, if that didn't work and we've done all of the things, let's check and just see where things are at, giving us a new baseline measurement. But yeah, like I've run a hundred plus GI maps and I've maybe run a fifth of those as the hormone tests. You know, we'll check labs, especially if they're going, but paying for that Dutch test, it's just not something that I, I frequently need to use because by the time we address the underlying issue, their symptoms improve, which is great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So real quick before we just wrap up today, but like, what are some of those things that people, I mean, we said like food first, adding a multivitamin, obviously I think like doing your best to remove endocrine disruptors from your environment. So those are, you know, chemicals that can be found in cleaning agents, chemicals that can be found in skincare products, makeup, shampoo, like all of our consumer packaged goods, products, like removing those to our best ability. But like when we talk about food and adjusting food, what are some small changes people can be thinking about that would really make a difference? Getting enough nutrition <laughs> is the best place that we need to start. Again, if your body is not getting enough energy, it's not going to be ovulating. It's not going to say like, we could have a baby right now because it's like, I'm starving. I, I can't afford to even create that right now. So that's my number one thing. Uh, we talked a lot about like a lot of the sulfur rich foods, things that are supportive of the liver. So as a brief reminder, like liver is that master regulator for all things hormones. So especially incorporating a lot of those liver supportive foods and removing things that are not helpful for our liver, like alcohol, caffeine, and even sugar. Also, a lot of medications also tax our liver, but that's one that like you need to talk with your provider and, and make sure that you're in, in a, a good place. Those are really big and tangible tips for me. And even just making sure that we are going to the bathroom every day. So adequate hydration, getting enough fiber. The fiber is really what helps our body to push out and excrete those extra hormones. So if we're not having a good bowel movement every day, like that's where we need to start. Getting enough nutrition, getting enough water, fiber, pooping every day. Yeah, psyllium husk is your friend. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that stuff. Uh, what are some of the liver, you said like liver good foods, liver good. Yes. Do you remember any of them from when we chatted about it? <laughs> I think you said Brussels sprouts. Yep. Yep. 
So all of the brassicacea vegetables like broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts. My favorite and easiest is incorporating microgreens. So those are like the fancy looking if you do sprouts or they are the highest concentrations of sulfur because think like that sprout is what would turn into a whole broccoli plant or a whole arugula. So those have the most dense concentrations. And I ask people to incorporate two servings a day of any of those foods. So as a reminder, a half a cup cooked or a full cup of raw. But I love like the microgreens. I don't know. They make everything look fancier. (laughs) They add flavor. (laughs) It's like you're always at a restaurant because, you know, you go out to eat and like everything is topped with like microgreen, pea shoots, microgreen. Edible flowers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, people are always like, Nora, your food looks so good. And I'm like, it's just the microgreens or herbs or it's the little things. Yeah. Yeah. Is our herbs considered microgreens? No, uh, you know, a lot of them have a lot of antiviral, antimicrobial, beneficial properties, and they they are concentrated sources. But when we're speaking more to those sulfur-rich foods, it's coming more from the microgreens. And we were talking about like, carrot skins on the one episode as well. So that's also super supportive and uh, a great thing to incorporate. I make like carrot ribbons. I just shave the top of the skin off and put it into salads or pickled carrots. Oh my God. Yum. So yum. Yeah. Wow. Okay. This episode was packed full of information. So hopefully (laughs) everyone Maybe go back and listen, and hopefully you can kind of pinpoint if some of the things you're experiencing might be hormone-related. That's really like my goal is I would love for people to just have a higher awareness around, is this my hormones? Is this not? Totally. And if you're not tracking or journaling at all, maybe this is a good place to start, and you don't have to wait for your next cycle or anything. Like, Just start today and write down, how are you feeling? Where's your energy at? Where's your mood today? Are you horny? Like, do you have any sex drive? Do you feel like exercising and moving your body? How are you sleeping? Do you have any physical symptoms? Have you noticed a weight fluctuation? Are you going to the bathroom? Like those simple things and just keeping a little bit of a summary each day is the very start. It does not have to be some extensive thing. Yeah, awesome. Well, if you learned something today, make sure that you hit subscribe because we will be bringing you more episodes and more information like this. Also, if you do want to tune in to a live recording of the podcast, you will grab that invitation by joining the Flow State Club. There is a link in the description. Come and say hi to us over on social. Our social links are below and rate and review us so that we can help more people find their flow state. Yay. Thanks everyone. We will see you in the next episode. Have a great week. Bye.